0: welcome to under the influence the podcast where we help chiropractors improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more i'm your host dr martin harvey i'm a chiropractor and i'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic Today on Under the Influence, I'm joined by Dr. Craig McLean. Craig is a chiropractor, and he's also the owner and director of the Cairo London group of practices. He also has a podcast that I will have a link in the show notes to. So he is doing a lot of different things. And it's a really fascinating discussion because Craig is really quite candid about what he's learned learned makes the difference in terms of making one individual practice successful and then how you combine that to make group practices successful and allow people kind of an individual expression within a group practice and how that then integrates with support staff, and he really sees things from quite an interesting perspective, but also for those of us who might be in smaller organizations, I think it gives us a really useful insight into what we can do better to be able to maybe have more impact, scale up our impact and help more people and help people more. So really fascinating discussion. I've got a lot of notes out of it and things that I can do better in my practice, so I think it's one that you're gonna find super fascinating. This is the last podcast episode for 2023. I'm going to be putting the podcast to bed for a couple of weeks, so I will be back in the new year. It's been a really amazing year. I really appreciate those of you who have been in touch and shot me messages about what you like and what you don't like. or It's mainly what you like, fortunately. Uh, And... If you feel like doing so, I'd love to hear from you in terms of favorite episodes or uh, questions that you might have in terms of communication or just generally having more impact in your practice. My email is in the show notes. I am busily working away on a new project that I will be launching early next year. The intention is I'm going to launch it with quite a small group, and if you want to be part of that small group, I'm going to be inviting people via my email list. So if you want to be part of it or you want the option to be part of it, I would suggest if you're not currently on my email list, go to insideoutpractices.com and Uh, sign up to be on the email list I promise I don't spam you I won't share your details with anybody else I don't do affiliate deals I don't do any of that kind of stuff so uh, yeah I will only be high value stuff like new podcast episodes or other things that I am doing so um, get on that So as we wind down into 2023, it's natural for us to be looking to the path ahead and what we might want to do in the year ahead. And so I think it's the perfect time to have this kind of broader discussion that I have with Craig about what it's like to be playing the game at that next higher level of multiple practices where you're creating a team dynamic and looking to really influence how chiropractic is in one of the biggest most influential cities in the world. So with that, please welcome to the podcast, Craig McLean. G'day, Craig. Great to see you.
1: Martin, thank you for inviting me on the pod.
0: Uh, I'm uh, very honoured to have you. I think we were saying in the little intro, I've admired from afar a lot of what you've been able to do with uh, chiropractic in London, which we will get to in uh, short order, um, so it's one of those things where I've always been interested in how you can kind of make things happen at scale and how you can have such good team relationships and a whole bunch of things like that. That I think many of us can learn from from somebody who's been able to do it successfully over a long period of time and also had that. Um, we seem to be practicing in similar areas in two cities. So I seem to refer people to you guys and get clients back to South Melbourne and I've always had such a wonderful experience, regardless of who they've seen in your practices that I think there's a lot of things that you're doing that are really interesting in terms of having, how many practices do you have now? Well, we have six. Uh, And,
1: you know, I always said that we were the, well, when it was just one practice, we were like the go-to for Aussie travelers, you know, and we used to make it, you know, our our aim was to sort of try and accommodate and make it as easy as possible for anyone traveling just to kind of continue on with some sort of care program. And it's, yeah, it's worked out really well over the years. We love seeing the Aussies coming over. I love seeing that, you know, sometimes you get this like husband and wife who are used to being on the table every two weeks or something and they're over here for a month and they're like come and see you twice and uh, they're just you know really grateful for that but
0: yeah that's awesome so we'll get to all the practice stuff in a minute but um, I'm super curious I saw you taking a little sip from what looked like an espresso cup there so what sort of coffee are you under the influence of these days
1: I was Really looking forward to that question because you did send me a little bit of prep beforehand. <laughs> and um it's quite a good story because I'm in my little office here at the moment. There's room for a couple of us up here and we're on the top floor of what is the Ground Coffee Society Cafe. So oh, yeah. we have taken uh, our coffee appreciation to a level where we've literally moved into a coffee house uh, and we have... That espresso cup or the flat white, oat flat white I was drinking uh,
0: was uh, from the cafe downstairs. Um, Wow, that that is next level. I thought I was doing well having a commercial machine at home and a a practice that is diagonally across an intersection from a cafe. But yeah, no, you've taken it to another level there, Craig. I'm impressed.
1: Well, this cafe uh, is di- diagonally opposite the Putney Cairo Clinic in London. Got Got uh, so we are separated by a road. But um, yeah, they had they had an office that they weren't using at the top here, so we jumped at it just to sort of uh, do a little bit of admin from afar. And but it's a really cool story in the fact that uh, well, the the blend I was or it wasn't a blend. The actual coffee I was drinking this morning is called Caveman. Yeah. And in preparation for this, I was like, it's a Brazilian sourced from one farm down in Brazil. And the guy who owns this cafe, uh, he has cafe life and then he has a massive roasting business as well. Yeah. So he roasts his own beans from uh, direct from Brazil. And one of his more recent successes is he is a coffee supplier to the Live Golf Tour at the moment.
0: Wow. wow. So nice. he
1: has been to, I think, seven of the nine live golf tournaments this year. And he sets up and serves coffee to all the pros, right? So he doesn't um, do on-course coffee. He just does it to like a VIP area for all the pros and the entourage. And yeah, so they like his coffee so much. They basically, the Saudis, uh, employ him to bring coffee to their tournament.
0: Wow, so you've got more or less coffee royalty by extension that you are cohabiting <laughs> with there. Yeah.
1: And awesome. the other, the other cool thing about it is that about fifteen years ago, well, he's been in existence for fifteen years. Uh, Dave's his name, and um, we moved our practice from one side of Putney in London to the other in two thousand and nine. And in the same year, uh, there was a a fledgling uh, drum shop down the road there was this young guy in there selling drums right yeah and he worked out pretty quickly that um people didn't really want to come in and buy drums but they did want to come in and drink the coffee that he made from his little coffee machine that he had out the front of the drum shop <laughs> and <laughs> and so you know he started giving he was just giving it away to all his mates and he was like maybe I should just start charging for this so then he sort of set up a little cafe out the front with drums out the back and then Pretty quickly, the drums got parked up, and the cafe kicked off, and the rest is history. This was 2009. Um, wow. So it's that... gone from drummer, drum shop, to now, you know, global coffee uh, broaster.
0: I think it sort of speaks to that idea, you know, how there's that idea you have to map out every step of your career and then the sort of opposite to that is that I think it's a Mike Tyson quote that, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face idea that, you know, all well, the planning in the world doesn't really matter if you've just kind of got kind of a roll with what seems right at the time. And it seems like he's had tremendous success, perhaps more with option two than option one.
1: Yeah, very much. Anyway, it's a lovely cup of coffee and we are always in a state of hyper caffeination.
0: Excellent. And I think it's it fits with a city like London, doesn't it? It's kind of a yeah. high intensity place. So how long have you been in London for?
1: I arrived here in 1999, I hate to say. So that is 24 years ago now, I believe.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And so did you go over with the intention of staying or were you going over doing the classic Australian, I've graduated and I'm going off to, to see the UK and Europe and I'll work at the same time?
1: I did like a gap year when I was 27. So I, um, and here I am 24 years later, still on my gap year. Um, (laughs) uh, But no, I I did the opposite where I went straight from school into RMIT and then uh, worked a couple of associateships in Oz. (laughs) And after about four years of Cairo work in Oz, I I, uh, jumped over here to the UK and just, you know, it's the natural thing for most Aussies to do to head back to the mothership. Uh, the english-speaking part of europe and that's that's where i'm at so i ended up doing locum work for a bit and then did a bit of a kind of did take that actual gap year where i was locuming and then traveling and then came back when a place where i locumed at which was putney chiropractic um uh, offered me an associate position here and then fairly quickly the guys that owned it were which were a couple of aussies uh they wanted to head back to australia and they uh Made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So that was 2002, and that
0: was the beginning of the journey. Oh, happy 21st mm-hmm. birthday of taking over Putney. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, mate, it's funny. You know what? Um, I was reminded of that the other day when uh, we actually are finally, after 21 years, moving from capable. You probably remember that <laughs> yep. safe software, right? Yeah, we yeah. have been stuck in the dark ages for like uh, ever, right? And yeah. uh, it's it's the old story of better the devil you know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we max out capables, capabilities uh, globally. We're sort of doing the most with it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just got to the point where we've been chatting to the practice hub guys and we're going to, Pull the pull the trigger on that. Mac, so that's very Mac exciting. The big
0: step. Wow. Exciting times. So now just big picture. What's the influence that you are trying to have? So I I really the
1: the, the like the influence that I, I set out to have is to make a bigger impact than I can with just simply one set of hands. Yeah. And And So just
0: to clarify that, how many chiropractors? You've got six practices there. How many chiropractors?
1: We've got in excess of 20 chiropractors. And uh, we sort of, Putney actually has seven chiropractors at the moment, um, but four of them are full-time and three kind of drop in and out. um, uh, uh, Of which I'm still one of them dropping in and out, doing a couple of half days a week. And um, the other clinics as a general rule have uh four chiropractors in them got it um it, although that doesn't quite add up there's a couple that are not that don't have four in there yeah. but that's our 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 model is to sort of try and uh i i think a, a practice that has two one or two chiropractors in it doesn't operate as successfully in this model as something that's a bit bigger
0: Okay, so tell me more about that. What what do you think the key to the success of having sort of bigger practices with more people in it is?
1: Yeah, so I, I think a while ago, well, I, I you know what happened is I, I just the other day I, I thought you know how when the the Aussies get a cap for playing cricket, right? They get the yes. baggy green, right? And that has a little number on it. And yeah. that's the number that they are of, it's, you yeah. know, the baggy green. I thought it's about time I started counting the chiropractors that have been through Putney, right? Yeah. So uh, I got up to 28, yeah. can you believe? Uh, mm-hmm. And um, some of them stayed for just a short time, uh, like, a you know, I kind of considered a long-term locum, or that sort of a thing still counts. Um <laughs> But I think over the the course of having so many associates uh, working with us, um, I've seen those that are super busy and I've seen those that are in cruise mode. And I kind of, when you're doing something to scale, you kind of just have to realize that, uh, that, you know, there is like almost like a, a comfort zone that a lot of chiropractors like to be in. Right. Yeah. And, that's what we're almost basing our model on of four chiropractors in the building. Because, you know, um and and I I'm interested actually today to have a little bit of a chat about some of the differences between UK and Oz Cairo life. But yeah. in terms of yeah, you know, uh just as far as volume goes per practitioner, you know what I mean, you tend to find that little glass ceiling kicks in yeah. for us maybe around 80 people a week, you know what I mean? Um, And, you know, to be doing more than that, um, you need to be pretty invested in yourself and your, uh, be it your systems or your people, or some people are really great at being empathetic in a, in a very efficient way. Um, Others have to work harder at it. Um, uh, But that's in answer to your question, basically, you know, if you have four people in the building all seeing about 80 people a week, then that's not a too bad a
0: a job for um, what we're after. Um, So, So I guess the model then, if I'm understanding it correctly, is that you're looking to, you've got, you're in inner city areas in arguably one of the most expensive cities in the world. So you're looking at, let's have, more sort of medium-paced kind of medium-volume sort of practices that uh, then scale well because they're you're not having to you're not having like a very slow practice with a whole lot of overhead, but equally you're not having that that the extra kind of work and uh, management that goes into a really high-volume practice. Is that sort of where where you're coming at it from?
1: Yeah, and also future proofs yourself a little bit where if you have one of those key. Um, parts leave yeah. then it's less of an impact than if you know so if you have two practitioners in there saying you know double what we're sort yeah. of aiming for then yeah. one of those leave then you then you're in a you've got a bigger hole you know what i mean yeah. so um I, th- I think the other thing where sort of i really like to focus on though is and and this is one of the keys to how we've been relatively successful in building this is the amount of freedom you give the chiropractor is, I think, really important. Um, And the most success we've had with associates over the years are those that pretty much run their own um, business just under a very supportive roof, a very supportive environment with a structure that is set within a certain degree, but there are also not restrictions with regards to anything from, say, technique or focus on a particular group of people that I want to help on yeah. or, uh, you know, even appointment timings or yeah. um, uh, even, you know, uh, uh, care plans or schedules or all this yeah. sort of stuff, okay? We're, we're very supportive of whatever
0: you want to bring to the table so yeah. long it's within a certain framework. Yeah, so we've sort of got like bounded autonomy, I guess you might describe. Like there's not absolute carte blanche of what, you know, somebody might not be able to come in and say I'm doing... uh I'm trying to think of something extravagant, but, you know, somebody can't come in and No, say, I've got mean, a good
1: example is that uh, there's a chiro who wants to come in and sort of uh, start injecting people with vitamin B12, you know what mm. I mean? Um, uh, and um, is like, you know, sort of gets a little bit of an interest in, in something like that. Um, or it could even be, you know, we're, we're, we also... Uh, I'm very into the, the keep it simple stupid principle because yep. it's always worked well for me and it's like okay we do chiropractic and we do it really fucking well okay yep. and we're just going to focus on that and we're not gonna try and blur the whole thing okay yeah um and that's what uh I I think is has partly been a bit of success for us as well is that there have been a few occasions where people want to bring in more thorough nutritional testing or you know uh injecting stuff or you know even physiotherapeutics you know what i mean all that sort of stuff you know we're we're sort of trying to keep those massage guns at home where
0: they belong (laughs) um (laughs) yeah yeah okay all right so that that actually i find it really interesting I, i love the book drive by daniel pink and he looks at a whole lot of the literature around what keeps people engaged (laughs) in work and driven, uh, motivated. And he says that, you know, if you boil it down, there's three key characteristics that are autonomy, which speaks to what you are talking about there, that, you know, nobody loves the idea or not nobody. I think there are a lot of people who would find the idea of I'm coming in and I have to just follow this 20 step protocol that Craig's developed and there's no, uh, no creativity or input that I can have based on my passion and understanding. It's just this is the system. That Daniel Pink's perspective is that that autonomy, having some say in how you do things is incredibly engaging, motivating. And then if you couple that with the other two factors, which are mastery, where there's some aspect of within your work, you're getting better at something through the challenge that you've been Uh, faced with or that there's an internal process of development of the people in the team Um, and then the last part which I I certainly have seen from your team is this idea of purpose the idea that yeah we're about doing chiropractic really fucking well and there's a sense of being part of something bigger that you're part of a team of people who are all part of that vision so yeah I can see how having that basic structure there is likely to create a really good team context man
1: i love that about you by the way is that how you bring in a wealth of information from outside (laughs) the profession right because there's a bunch of guys in cairo who just like um you know keep banging the same old drum whereas you're like i'm gonna research outside of what happens in cairo and use anything from key ingredients of effective communication or oh, uh, coercion or whatever it is that you do right and then you know I, I love that whole thing of like ethical coercion or whatever you call it you know what i mean yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the
0: influence of the stuff yeah
1: yeah the how how to influence uh ethically and, yeah. and uh, that sort of stuff and, and it's like it's all principles that i think chiropractors need to listen to um yeah. and thank you for doing all the research on behalf of us all so we yeah, can gain from that you
0: know <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. I, find, I also find it interesting that there are a lot of people who may not have gone into it with that understanding, but you have a certain, look, it feels right to me that if I was in the, you know, that golden rule thing, of, I'm going to structure it the way that I would want it to be. I want it to be simple. I want to be able to do what's important to me. I'd expect that somebody else is going to value that as well. And so you didn't necessarily have to read Daniel Pink's book to, to discover that. But I do think it it gives us a useful framework for other people who might be saying, look, I think it would be super cool to have one you know one practice that has multiple practitioners or two practices, three practices, whatever the scaling that they're doing. And so learning from what you have done, but then almost going back from that and saying, what's the framework that that makes that work, I think, can be really useful. Yeah. No, so, cool. Yeah, so I know you've had a bunch of different chiropractors working there, um, and it, I know that there are a lot of people who are audience members who may look at the idea of either they're in the UK and they'd love to be part of something bigger than they currently are, or they find your model attractive, or people coming from Australia or elsewhere who would look to the UK um, we were discussing beforehand that you're, you know, always looking for talented, committed chiropractors. So um, is what's the best way that people should get in touch with you if they're interested in uh, chatting about the Cairo London experience?
1: You can just simply drop me an email at um and right. reach that'll, out, you know.
0: That'll be in the show notes. So yeah. don't press your car. But, for-
1: but also like the... Um, you know, I, th- I think we're always on the lookout for, um, as you said, um, new chiropractors. There's always a bit of a, when you've got that many people involved. There's always different little circumstances that come up, and there is uh, different opportunities that present. There's there's an a, a, an element of trust you need to place in us because you may be well applying for a position and then it doesn't exist at the time when you actually apply. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then and then we're like, don't worry. There's it a, it's a big old chessboard, and yeah. uh, if you can just trust us, we will find the best position for you with your skill set um, when the time's right. You know. Um, yeah. uh, so, but look, actually, a couple of things about the, uh, I mean, and on that the UK versus Australia thing, um, yeah. I I'm really intrigued about some because I haven't been practicing in Australia for twenty odd years. I've kind of lost track of. <laughs> What's happening to a degree at the coalface in Australia, but we, we I think in the UK are in a super fortunate position to have uh, low competition, I guess, mm-hmm. um, or really we're in trouble with regards to uh, having the number of graduates that come out of colleges over here relatively low. You know yeah. what I mean, and. Um, when you look at the number of chiropractors, there's three and a half or 4,000 people on the register and there's like 65 million people. Right. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's tough, uh, to, to find, uh, you know, um, suitable people to work in a situation like we have, you know, but at the same time, once you actually are practicing over here, um, um, just like the access to new leads, for example, is, well, let's have a, let's have a conversation about that. I had a look back because uh, uh, we had the similar in every now and then, this comes up in every practice, uh, the chiropractors get a little bit unsettled if they're sort of, uh, they're not quite as busy as they'd like to be. Yeah. And then they said, so, oh, you know, we're not getting enough new leads.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. that's
1: obviously number one, right? Yeah. Um, and then so then I actually looked back into Putney, for example, historically over the last six months from now, October to May, right? Yeah. And we actually averaged over that six month period, 23.7 new leads a week.
0: A week? Wow. That's, yeah, that's a very different. I mean, I, I guess it depends a little bit what the the model is in terms of what you're doing to generate New clients, but I would say that's a very high number. But compared and to that's, the,
1: for, for, for us, that is a record breaking six months, too, because then I went back over the last six years and looked at it, right? And then that is about two a week more than we've ever done, right? Okay. Um, and, um. you know, back in 2015, it was probably more likely to be 14 a week, you know, what I mean? okay. Um, yeah. but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, and I, I'm assuming, and, and by the way, we don't do any marketing. <laughs>
0: okay, that was my next <laughs> question. Is that like, that's, yeah, that's yeah.
1: Well, by any marketing, I mean we don't do any spinal screenings. We don't do any um, uh, paid know, advertising, yeah. paid yeah. stuff. You know, uh, we probably charge. Well, we do. We charge 125 pounds for the first visit, um, yeah. which includes an X-ray, uh, yeah. and so we don't kind of like reduce. I think we take 25 quid off if you're referred by an existing patient, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we kind of still keep the entry point relatively high and that's still coming into the door, you know. But, yeah. uh, And I put that down to the fact that there's relatively low competition and, um, yeah, a need out there because the, the alternatives are not great for looking yeah. after your spine.
0: Um, I also think that there's a certain element to which, you know, if you've got a track record of doing really good work over a long period of time, that does generate demand. So yeah, I appreciate what you're saying in terms of the com- the competitive environment is different, but um, yeah, that's, that's excellent.
1: Like, and even like I, I had a dinner last night with a couple of our new grads, uh, cause I kind of mentor as part of my role is just to kind of make sure that, um, some of the newer guys are looked after and they've only been with us for about three months, but they're already averaging five or six new people a week as well. Right. So uh, this is the thing that I think, um, you know, and so we're having a little bit of a marketing meeting coming up as everyone's like, obviously going, well, we need more new people. And I'm like, actually, you don't need more new people. We've got too many. Um, What we need is a little bit of a retention plan, right? Um, And this is where Martin Harvey maybe comes into it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was looking at that going, wow. I think, uh, yeah, there's a certain, uh, yeah, I can see a confluence of uh, interests happening there. So, yeah, I mean, that sells
1: itself for Australian chiropractors. If you want a few more new leads and you think you're pretty good at conversion, then come and say hi. Um, Unfortunately, the downside is the GCC make it pretty painful to arrive on the shores over here. Um, So good luck with that. We can hold your hand with that to a degree, but it's a painful process. Um, Yeah,
0: the uh, test of competence is what we're talking about here for those who are not uh, aware of it, and it's uh, a pretty large onerous hurdle that you know everybody seems to get through eventually but it does they certainly do not make it a a welcome mat out there for you to to come on over and uh, get registered so yeah a bit challenging so six practices and 20 plus chiropractors do you have a vision for where you'd like it to be or where you plan for it to be well,
1: where it all began out of me having that one practice going, well, you know, you'd have someone come from North London or Central London or something and say, oh, look, do you know a chiropractor over there? Because I'm really into it, but it's a real pain to get here, you know. Um, yeah. And then I I found it difficult to find uh, a network of chiros in London to refer to. So that's where the idea of like, well, let's just do something. Um, let's create uh, an opportunity for people to get quality chiropractic easier. and we also you know we did that little bit of research where in london you tend to find over 80% of your custom comes from within a 2 mile radius and really? yeah. um yeah people like to kind of keep it local you know yeah. um, even though the network of travel in here is is pretty um extensive what well, needs to be because the traffic's so bloody bad um yeah. but uh, yeah so that's what we sort of set about doing is just sort of try and make it easier for people to do that and that whole idea of I, you know, as I said, I, I I think once you reach your capacity, physical, mental, emotional capacity as a chiropractor with your normal five-day week, uh, the, I still kind of felt that seeing 150 people a week or maybe 200 people a week had a certain influence. But when you break it down, you may be sometimes only influencing 90 individuals yeah. during that particular week. Yeah. And um, uh, 90 individuals in the course of... I think Putney has 14,000 people living in it or something, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, there's it's not that. So when we expanded and the idea was to sort of try and and now we're at the point where we are servicing about 1,500 people uh, a week. And yeah. um, that's a much bigger impact, I think, uh, on the health of the Southwest London community. <laughs> um, but then it gets to the point where you're like, well, what are we going to do now, you know? Yeah. And um we pre-COVID actually just hit the pause button because we kind of grew pretty quickly in um, you know, a three or four-year period. And it was a very good time. We nearly did buy that extra practice uh, and that sort of fell through just before COVID, um, thankfully. And <laughs> um, uh, and then we just kind of bunkered down. And so, you know, we're, we're sort of like any business that's grown reasonably quickly. We're sort of trying to work out what the management structure needs to be uh the the systems that need to be in place um who's doing what because i kind of feel like if we went any bigger than this at the moment we uh would th- there would be a few cracks appearing in the in in the way things are operating yeah. so that's interesting. yeah that's we need to sort ourselves out um from the top down perspective but then yeah. yeah look i mean i think um the the the, the interesting the thing that interests me is always kind of also trying to keep in mind what what are we building here and why are we building it and you know what is the exit yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know is there an exit or is this just it forever you know yeah yeah i mean yep. um uh And once, like even Putney, you know, I kind of feel like it's a clinic which, as an individual clinic, is such a unique thing where most practices are successful because they have a very successful principal working in it Mm -hmm. and a few a couple of associates, right? And then once you remove that principal, then the whole thing deflates a bit and then it's not quite worth what it is. So, it's not really a a proper business as such. It's like a, it's, you know, so whereas Putney has very minimal input from numbers from me. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's something that uh, yeah. is like, I think, a, a successful standalone a business.
0: So do you have a sense of what it is that has created that success? Or perhaps, you know, more broadly, you've had the opportunity to observe, you know, 20 plus chiropractors in practice, and I'm assuming there's a spectrum of Success on any metric, you know, whether it's their satisfaction with their level of success or your objective kind of measure of it. Are there any patterns that you see that we could learn from that, you know, in terms of what makes either Putney a success in? In terms of it being, a, you know, just a representative chiropractic or more broadly, you know, do, in terms of the individual chiropractors, are, are there any patterns that you see in terms of what makes them more success, more or less successful?
1: You know, it's interesting, the, probably what Putney isn't, is one of those clinics you see at a innate summit with yeah. all the CAs, all the chiropractors high-fiving each other and partying down the aisles, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and in fact, if you kind of look, if you kind of lift up the hood and uh, look under it, it's almost representative a little bit more of a Chicago Bulls type of situation back in the Michael Jordan era.
0: I love this metaphor. <laughs> Go forth.
1: <laughs> Where I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman didn't speak throughout one of the whole seasons, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, I think that's pretty well. Uh, I think everyone got into the Netflix show during lockdown, didn't they? About yeah, that, Jordan The Last and Dance, God. yes. Last Dance. And uh, there's a collection of superstars. That there's some pretty big egos in the building, too, you know yeah. what I mean? And the same way Chicago Bulls had probably the biggest egos on the planet, yeah. right? Um, and so you know, there was Phil Jackson there, just trying to kind of like uh, the coach for those that yeah. don't know, yeah. um, just trying to kind of manage these uh superstars of the game, um, and did it reasonably successfully, right? So you know i'm no phil jackson but um i think there is an element of that as a very interesting little metaphor that if you want to be you know uh if you want to have a collection of superstars you got to be prepared to sort of give them the freedom to be able to shine yeah um but don't always expect um it to be a kind of really super rosy um you know dressing room uh, after game situation got it. you know what I mean? got it. um yeah. Okay. And, and there are certain allegiances that happen, certain alliances, certain friendships that sort of happen within the group. Um, but then there are those who just get in there, get the job done and go home, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I think in a nutshell, you've just got to be as supportive as you can with the team that you've got. Um, and, you know, just don't let these little fires that start burning get out of hand. Yeah. Um and you know go from there in fact Edwina Waddell was one of my long-term associates back in the day and um I think I I think she well I'm not sure if she someone anyway in historically described me as Switzerland by the way in terms of my management (laughs) structure right um (laughs) where I love to get involved but just in a neutral kind of uh, yeah. position, you know, yeah. um, not too heavily involved. I'm always there kind of like, you know, how did Switzerland kind of be in the middle of World War II and actually be not really involved?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you've, so that's... you've read the history and you've applied the lessons of that to your management style. <laughs>
1: And again, uh, I always do things uh, without probably learning too much from history, and uh, but I do look back sometimes and go, actually, that's probably a fairly accurate uh, description of, of what's going on here. So, yeah, yeah. somewhere yeah. between a mixture of Phil Jackson and Switzerland is the secret it's to a successful, successful big friend. clinic, right? Got it,
0: got it. I love it. Useful metaphors. So just rewinding all the way, what influenced you to get involved in chiropractic in the first place?
1: I I have a couple of recollections um, of being a twelve year old with a couple of like uh, tonsillitis things going on. You know, so it's pretty yeah. mild, but I I kind of went off to the GP as uh, you know uh, a traditional from Ballarat family would do in Country yeah. Victoria um and i'm pretty sure i i remember I have a key memory of having a bit of an allergic reaction to like a penicillin type situation right mm-hmm. and that put a real sour taste in my mouth with regards to sort of the concept of outside in yeah you know and without even really knowing about it or about chiropractic or anything um i had that kind of inside out philosophy kind of growing within me uh as a teenager you know um yeah. and uh, it was kind of not until I started doing the rounds of a, as an 18 year old trying to work out what to do with my life that I kind of, uh, met a few chiropractors, observed them and doing what they were doing. At the same time, I was spending a bit of time in hospitals, spending a bit of time in physios, trying to work yeah. out what I wanted to do with my life. And then, yeah, it was that kind of natural philosophy that really drew me to it. And, uh, today I still love that concept of being able to impact someone's health with a pair of hands. Yeah. Uh, pretty amazing really
0: isn't
1: it that's what kind of got me involved in Cairo yeah
0: yeah and And so the rest is history along the journey who or what would you say have been your biggest chiropractic influences
1: I I loved this memory uh in fact you we should give my little Cairo London pod a plug here because I had the pleasure of interviewing Guy Reichman um a year or so ago, and I'd say he's right up there as one of the key influences of my career. Um, But I go back to the point in time, and uh, is my memory right? Was this guy involved in the Quest situation
0: at some point? Yeah, yeah. So I think the the history of that is Guy Reitman and Joe Felicia started uh, Renaissance as a sort of practice practice education thing, and then... I think, if my memory serves me correctly, when they went separate ways, not in, you know, any sort of issue with each other, but they were choosing to do things differently. I've forgotten the name of what Joe's organisation was, but uh, Guy started Quest. And then I think uh, Mark Bossels, who um, many people will have heard multiple times mentioned on the podcast, was involved in um, as a sort of an Australian facilitator, is my recollection for Quest when Guy was doing it, and then uh, I think when Guy went back, went to become president of Palmer um, Davenport. I think then Quest then passed on to to Mark and went from there. That, I may have the history a little bit out of sync, but that's broad brush strokes. What happened there?
1: So it was Guy that when I took my first associateship, which is in Brisbane, uh, I worked a couple of years up there and um, was, uh, I I went along to one of these Renaissance, uh, or maybe it was Quest at the time. I think it was probably Uh, Quest
0: at that time. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think Mark Postles had arranged this uh, public talk uh yeah. kind of I think they used to do public lectures and yeah. um that invite a bunch of chiropractors and then a couple of the clinics would encourage you to bring your favorite patients along and then yeah. you just have a an evening with Guy Reichman right yeah and I loved the story that he told he always loves to sort of quote a little bit of Walt Disney um as he's yeah. sort of talking through some of his um you know trying to sort of stir a bit of emotion and and I loved it whereas like Walt was there on his deathbed and he was kind of trying to create the, I think this is before the big Walt Disney world was actually built. Right. Yeah. And they're like, okay. I think it
0: was still it, like, it was still marshland and he had his plans yeah. for the Epcot center and everything else, but it wasn't. You've heard um, the
1: exact same story have, from Guy then. Yes. Cause I
0: know exactly. And then, you know, is there, and I
1: remember a particular part saying, well, you know, we, Hey, Walt, if we just serve beer, during yeah. uh like you know from the kiosk facilities you're gonna double your profit you know and then he there is there on his deathbed he's like don't let my dream get messed up
0: yeah
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, I- you know that's my recollection of the whole thing um yeah. and but that was uh, i think he used that as a story of sort of uh don't let the chiropractic message get messed up you know yeah. um and uh that was uh, a really like Little moment there where I was like, "Hey, this is something big. I'm part of here, you know." And yeah. th- that was a that was a turning point, I think. As I was a very new graduate of chiropractic and didn't fully embrace, I think, the philosophy even um, through the, the the RMIT years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, the other influence I was thinking about is I went and visited a couple of guys called Sue and Sam from Chicago in 2019. Yeah. Have you ever come across the Cairo One guys?
0: Yes, I have. In the, I met them in the US and I actually listened to the episode of your podcast you were, where you were talking to them. So, yeah, Cairo One, I mean, you speak to it. They're a big group of practices in based in Chicago, but I think they're outside of Illinois as well, aren't they?
1: So when I went to visit them in 2019, um, they... Uh, they had 70 clinics and it wow. was in Illinois and surrounds, you know, yeah. uh, so just the local sort of area around um, Chicago. Uh, and then in the last five years, uh, they've had some serious financial backing and they have expanded out to over a hundred now and um, growing rapidly. Um, and yeah, th- those guys are huge. The, you know, it's really nice to actually meet them. They were very generous at the time when I went over there and, and, um, uh, you know, they took us through their HQ, which is bigger than a room above a cafe, just FYI. Um, <laughs> um yeah, and but yeah, there was a it's it's really interesting stuff. Um, yeah. And and my last influence is, is Bloomy, who you probably yeah. know from yeah, Michael Bloom, local Melbourneite. Yes. Uh, he and I are really good mates from uni days, and we we love a good chat um, late at night uh, about all random
0: stuff. Because um, so, you'd have yeah. a lot of interests, wouldn't you? You'd have chiropractic, cycling, coffee, yeah, just the uh, the love of life generally.
1: He, and it we was we so, so cool. He spent three years over here working for us in Putney um, as he tried to work out his love life. And yeah. Um, yeah, he ended up leaving after three years with a wife and a child. So um, we are also available for total life solutions as opposed to just chiropractic.
0: <laughs> yeah, mission accomplished. It took him three years and he was back here then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Excellent. Um, So outside of chiropractic, any major life influences that you'd shine a light on? Um,
1: I, I, uh, I love introducing things into my own life that almost act as a little bit of a metaphor for, you know, just, you know, work life as well, okay? And you mentioned cycling is one of those things that I have a little bit of an obsession about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, in fact, in my spare time, I run an amateur sponsored bike racing team wow. um, of which I'm still a member of at the age of 51, um, very impressive and, and quite often race a couple of times a week. These days I limit it to the 50 plus category. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's really great being part of a unit that is is not Cairo related, but still a high performance setup, you know, and um, talk about, you know, the metaphor of marginal gains in the cycling world. That's what it's all about, you know what I mean? And so uh, I, I love that about, you know, every little that I don't think there's a sport on the planet that sort of pulls apart every minute little element of your performance and you can record literally every pedal stroke with your computers these days as yeah. to how hard you're pushing on the pedals and, you know, what that means in terms of, you know, how your aerodynamics relate to the power output compared to the watts per kilo and all this sort of stuff. Um, and so that's a really, I you know, I, I love that as a, to so put some perspective I... into life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you mind if I just sort of, tease that out a little bit because there might be people who don't know that concept but if I paraphrase it and then you correct me maybe that there's this idea that you can improve performance substantially if you pay a lot of attention to the details and the version that I've heard is and I've forgotten the name of the guy but British Cycling was you know not particularly uh, successful and this coach came in and took this idea of looking for every sort of marginal gain but stacking them on top of each other and really transformed uh, British cycling from being, you know, and also ran to being a really dominant force in Olympic and uh, world championship cycle racing. And, you know, down to the degree of, uh, you know, making sure that certain pillows and mattresses and all these tiny little nuanced differences that could just make the smallest amount of difference to recovery or performance that every box was ticked. Is that... How does that relate? Is that kind of what you were meaning and then metaphorically applying in a chiropractic context?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And David Brailsford is the guy that um, was heading up that whole um, uh, thing for British cycling. And then he obviously became, he left BC and set up uh, the Sky, what is now Team INEOS um, cycling team, which is still one of the big three or four teams in the pro peloton. And yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, It's down to uh you know fabric that they use they 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 literally like there's a story where uh i've got a mate who works for one of these uh kit manufacturers right and the cyclists these days they wanted them to they provided a whole pile of socks for the team right and the the sock had the brand Lacole written across the back of the sock embroidered right yeah. and they're like you need to take that off because that's just adding, uh, you know, extra weight to the whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's how ridiculous it's actually getting, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's like if we all took on just like a small element of that and reflected on our performance in life in the same way the cyclists do, yeah. I don't think you have to be as obsessive about it as they do. Um you know um and there are there are local amateur cyclists here who try and replicate that same high level performance gains right um where money is no object and i'll just sort of throw 2 grand at a skin suit like a yeah. uh, you know because it's like a custom fitted thing or something you know but yeah look if we all took a little bit of that out of um the playbook of david brailsford then i'm sure we will be all doing a little bit better out our daily routine
0: you know yeah I love that. And it sort of, I think it loops back to a thread that we haven't spoken about explicitly, but to me has been implicit in our discussion, which is at the core of what everything that you've spoken about, it's about just doing things really, really well. Like, let's lose some of the extraneous bullshit and just, we're going to do really, really good chiropractic here. And we're going to work in a focused way on how that can be done in a, where, agnostic to exactly how it's delivered but let's create a structure that's supportive so that you can be an excellent chiropractor deliver excellent care and when you're doing that you create an environment where there are people who are flocking in to experience that so and from the discussion that we've had you're still looking for new ways of tweaking that to to get to another level so yeah I think that's uh, admirable and impressive and something that we can all learn from. Yeah.
1: No, I try my best. You know, we've got a great team around us. You know, I I think it probably, you know, needs to mention as well. um, uh, You know, we've had uh, a great, we've had Drew Martin, a guy who's kind of our operations manager over here. He's not a chiropractor. And he, he's someone that, um, you know, I think could talk the Cairo talk better than some of our chiropractors. Okay. Yeah. And um, and we've also set up a bit of a structure whereby uh, every clinic has like a clinic manager who's not a chiropractor and they almost run the show uh, independently as well. So yeah. that's yeah. kind of the framework where we've kind of got one guy uh, at HQ and then um, six other little people who are then running the show and they, yeah. they organize uh, a lot of intricate detail um, and then avoid him having to make all those minor decisions as well. So they they try and sort of knock over a lot of those things individually, and then um, it just means the the ship runs a little bit smoother.
0: Yeah, excellent. So, listen, mate, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and learnings in this space. I think there's lots of lessons that we can take from the chat, and I think that what you've created there is really remarkable. You're creating something that is of a scale that very few within chiropractic have been able to do. And you've done it in a way that I think is uh very you know, person centered at the same time. You, you're not, you, you're achieving this uh, large scale and everybody that I've come across who's worked with you um, has always had a great experience and the people that I've uh, taking care of who we've referred to or re- who you've referred to us have always spoken very highly of the experience that they've had there so I think it takes something super special to to take to make that sort of quality happen at scale so congratulations and um, thank you Thanks for having me on the pod man.
1: and thanks for all your good work uh, rallying all us chiropractors globally
0: so good work man, thank you <laughs> Thanks Matt if you like today's episode then you will love the retention recipe 2.0 it's an online workshop that is broken into 33 lessons and has over seven hours of content which will teach you to confidently communicate the value of proactive chiropractic in the first 12 visits so if we want to have long-term retention if we want people to stay with us for months years and reap the really amazing health benefits that happen with long-term chiropractic care, we need to set the foundation for that in the first 12 visits. So the approaches in the Retention Recipe 2.0 are based on state-of-the-art influence strategies that are effective, ethical and they're enjoyable to use. They will help you to have more fun, less stress and increase your retention, which means more practice growth and less Always being on the hunt for new people. Check it out in the link in the show notes.